sorts of things. Volatility in the foreign exchange market. Money for nothing. Good morning, good morning, good morning. It's Thursday, the 5th of February, and this is Money for Nothing, and the checks are free. I'm Richard Harris, bringing you your business headlines this morning. Today, it's showdown at the OK Corral. At the end of his European tour, Greek Prime Minister Alexis Tsipras finally gets to meet the Germans. Meanwhile, the ECB adds pressure by cancelling an agreement that allowed the Greek government debt to be used as collateral. The oil price falls back 5%, markets are not happy, and lose their early gains. China's bank reserve requirements are cut by half a percent. And in other news, US job numbers dive in just below expectations, but still look positive. Sony narrows its losses on strong demand for image sensors and PlayStation. And in the US, Staples is buying Office Depot for $6.3 billion. Right, to get us through the business day with us this morning are Robert Howe of Hedge Fund Geometric Investments on the equity markets. Bob and I used to sit next to each other a quarter of a century ago, and now it's your turn to listen to him. John Schofield of Advisors Tempest Investment is going to lead us through what the charts are saying and what they're forecasting at the moment. And for all of you out there looking for your next job, who better to speak to than a headhunter? Sorry, an executive search consultant. We have Nick Lamb of Morgan McKinley. They've just released their latest report on current hirings and firings around the region, and we'll focus on Hong Kong. And to clear it all up for us is our very own Thursday guest host, the man with a brain the size of a planet, Peter Lewis. Good morning, Peter. Good morning, Richard. That could be a compliment or an insult, depending upon which planet you mean. You'll speak about that offline. Uh, Right. Peter, what does Greece do when it runs out of money? Well, Greece owes to its creditors 315 billion euros. And the first test is going to come in March when it has to pay 4.3 billion euros back to the IMF. Now, there's no question that it can pay it. The question is, will it? Um, Because if it doesn't have the support from the ECB and the EU to meet its financing needs for this year, then it's going to have to impose more austerity on the country, which it clearly was elected um, not to do. And the bigger problem, of course, is for the Greek banks, because they are slowly running out of money as depositors take all their money out. Yes, well, I was noticing when um, the finance minister went to see George Osborne on Sunday, Osborne was in a suit and tie, and the finance minister was in a donkey jacket and a cowboy shirt. Yeah. You kind of think, when you go and see the bank manager, you ought to be wearing a tie at least. In some ways, it's a little bit refreshing, because you almost hope that people don't focus too much on what they're wearing, but more on what they're saying. <laughs> and George Osborne looks like a bank manager himself. So. He does, yes. Right, back to news. The Greek Prime Minister and Finance Ministers complete their European roadshow today with a visit to the Inner Sanctum, Germany. Germany has been a lone voice in the Eurozone, protesting against any relaxation of the loan agreement. The German view was summarised in the newspaper Bild, showing a picture of people enjoying the high life with the headline, Why don't super-rich Greeks pay any taxes? Saka Nozebe of Hermes Investment Management puts a Greek strategy into perspective. He needs time, he needs money. He's only got, I think, cash at the end of February or the beginning of March, so he needs to get it from anywhere. And he's playing chicken with the, with the EU, right? Um, he was saying, uh, and I think uh, we heard yesterday Russia saying that it might consider bailing out Greece if Greece applies. They're not going to bail out. They're not going to apply for Russia. But he's basically saying to the EU, look, there are alternatives out there. Be nice to us. I will say one thing very quickly about Greece's position. If you look at uh, uh, debt as a percent of GDP at 124% now, mm-hmm. it's worse now than when they started the crisis because the result of all this uh, uh, cutting off, off, off spending has meant that the economy shrunk massively. So the 
they, they do have a point. They need a way out of this or else the Greek people just can't take it. Prime Minister Sapras goes into the meeting one goal down as the ECB has just announced that they're not going to accept Greek sovereign debt as collateral. This is a technical factor, as the move had been expected at the end of the month, but does put more political pressure on the Greek government to come to settlement. Oil stockpiles are the highest since 1982. Buyers have been loading up on the cheap black stuff, and the news caused prices to fall 6% last night. Brent is now currently trading at $53. Nuriel Rubini of Rubini Economics gives us his estimate of where he thinks oil is going to go. Now, the surprise could occur if we reach an agreement, say, with Iran fully on phasing out sanctions. They could increase production actually by a million barrels a day. And that, have a glut that of could million, bring it back down. And that could be bringing it down. If there was a okay. sudden increase in production from Iraq or Libya, I don't think those things are likely. But you know, prices could go lower. But I think that now the fundamentals would suggest gradually going higher. But I would say 60 65 by year end. So $65 the target. But he doesn't have any hopes of supply declining soon. Surely the Saudi Arabia is not going to blink anytime soon. Their behavior is one of an oligopolistic leader is doing predatory pricing. You keep supply high, prices low, you wipe out all the high marginal cost producer, whether it's shale or others. You overinvest into your own capacity. You force everybody else to underinvest in capacity. Right. And over the medium term, in the short run, of course, you run down your reserves because you're going to have low oil prices. But over the medium term, you have a larger market share and you have slightly higher prices than today. The fall in the oil price, plus a less optimistic view on settlement of Greek debt, led to early optimism on the markets uh, being dented last night. Uh, most markets around the world ended pretty well flat. Uh, the dollar was slightly up against major currencies. Closer to home, the Chinese central bank yesterday cut the bank reserve requirement by a tiny half a percent. The move allows the banks to lend more of their deposits to customers. Banks will still have to keep 19.5% of their reserves locked up against a rainy day when Western banks are near a 10%. In the U.S., there's another solid increase in non-farm payrolls, which are the job numbers so keenly watched as a temperature gauge of the economy. 213 jobs were created, which put the market in a good mood. Uh, Chris Rupke is still positive. Keep in mind how strong the labor market is with the year 2014 seeing the most private payroll jobs created since 1997. That is 18 years ago. Count it back to make sure. Interest rates are too low for an economy running this fast. Don't point to those working part-time, wanting full-time work as a sign of some kind of slack out there in the economy. It's not true. 213,000 is private jobs. Government jobs have been running 12,000 December, 8,000 November, 6,000 October. So add this on to 213. And the jobs number, the real jobs number from the Bureau of Labor Statistics at 8.30 Friday morning should be 220-225. In Europe, the Purchasing Managers Index revision came out as a higher since July. And a 2.8% rise in Eurozone retail sales was the best result since 2005. As consumption is such a big proportion of the economy in the Eurozone, it's likely that last year's GDP growth figures might come in better than expected. Peter, all this good news in Europe and elsewhere, how come the market's not getting carried away? 
Well, it depends upon which markets you look at. If you look at the equity markets, the DAX is at an all-time high. Other markets are at multi-year highs, which sort of suggests that things are looking good. But then if you look at the bond markets, yields have collapsed around the world. 16% of all government bonds globally now have a negative um, sort of yield. And the reason for that is the central banks. The central banks are pumping into the markets an enormous amount of liquidity. That isn't going into the real economy. It's flooding into um, into the markets producing a boom in all sorts of assets. So classes. are we looking at uh, uh, the markets going up then in the future with all this liquidity? Well, as long as there is liquidity, as we're seeing in Japan, for example, I mean, the economy is not looking great, but nevertheless, the Nikkei is going up because the Bank of Japan is providing a massive stimulus. And, and that's really the, the drawback of QE. It's not benefiting the economy, but it does benefit the financial markets. Well, let's see what Bob Howe has to think about this. Robert Howe is CEO of Geometrics Investment, which is a, a hedge fund based in Hong Kong. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Um, Bob, what's your view then on all this liquidity washing around the system? Well, I mean, one of the, the problems with a plunge in oil prices is that, you know, some of the providers of liquidity have been the Middle East and other oil states, and they've, they've been, um, you know, pouring money into safe instruments. Um, so, you know, without that it's been some of the concern about it. But I, I, I don't understand the hand-wringing about the, the plunge in oil prices being a harbinger of a, of a global recession. The, the, this has really been putting the cart before the horse. Well, it seems strange, Bob, because oil prices go down, which when I was a boy was a good thing, and, and then markets start to worry about it. Then they go up and the markets popped up. Yeah, yeah, it's just, it, you know, they sell so quickly then you know anytime there's a very sudden move you know people wring their hands on shows like this and, and tv and and get people scared so it, it was a sudden fall there's oh my god the banks have lent to all these oil producers and the marginal players and they're going to be bankrupt on top of greece and so in the financial sector when we've had rallies when oil went back up has actually been the, as big a gainer as, as some of the oil plays so, I mean, the, the key things are Greece, low interest, you know, almost zero or negative interest rates, and the plunge in oil. These so, Bob, the is, is, as well as... Things, right? So, Bob, as well as the supply side, which you've talked about, isn't there a demand issue as well in that, you know, the, the global economy is slowing? Um, and, and one of the reasons why we're seeing a, a synchronous plunge in all sorts of commodities is because um, demand in some of these is, all, is also falling quite sharply. That, that's what that's what the markets are worrying about, which you know to us is just a buying opportunity because you know we actually see earnings you know recovering in Europe. There's there's early signs of recovery. Yes, it's been slow, but when you have a QE massive QE like there is starting now in Europe and uh, has been in Japan, eventually the real economy do, does come through. I mean, what we see is a huge substitution. The, the, the supply from fracking, you have solar now at grid parity with coal, and every new panel that goes out there in the world is a permanent dent in the demand for oil. Uh, what's your, uh, what are you <coughs> invest, investing in at the moment, Bob? I see you've got, um, you like Japan a little bit. Yes, we, we, we went into Japan, luckily, about uh, two weeks before that Halloween surprise, a sort of QE3 of Japan. I mean, they have some of the, you know, world's, they have, they have a handful, maybe 20 of the world's world-beating companies. They're getting ROE religion. The, the Postal Service there, the largest pool of money in the world, is starting to invest in equities, and they are only will buy the Nikkei 400, which are companies with, with reasonable and rising returns on equity.
So do you like Japan because of the fundamentals of, uh, of the companies, or is it more because you see the Bank of Japan providing all this liquidity, or is it a combination of both? Yes, it's a combination. I mean, it, you always need QE. Mm. I mean, the reason why Japan was disappointing for, for two and a half decades was they were running QT, a QT, a quantitative tightening, except in 1998 uh, when they had the... Uh, bank in, in the northern island of Hokkaido go bust and Yamaichi go bust, then again in 2000 with the uh, Y2K, and then they, they, they've, they uh, panicked in 2003 when the banking system went, went basically bust, they, they had an accommodative policy. China has, since 1989, has been running a QT, trying to fight the price of cabbage, which drove the students into Tiananmen Square then. And there were finally seen signs that Chinese are loosening. You know, they just um, lowered the uh, reserve requirement again. But that was very tiny, Bob. It's a tiny yeah, amount. But, uh, I mean, it, it, yeah, it is. But, um, you know, it's, it, that's, I think, the third cut. And it's really, we're starting to see signs of, of you know, of quantitative easing there. Well, Bob, if you could just stay on the line, uh, and we'll have John Schofield of Tempest Investment after this. Well, John is our regular chartist, uh, the man who looks at uh, how prices have been moving on the charts and tries to figure out what's going to happen in the future. Good morning, John. Good morning, Richard. Um, right, we've been talking about oil a little bit this morning. Yeah. What do your entrails say about the charts? Um, oil, well, we obviously saw a, a, you know, a big climatic uh, collapse, and uh, we got down to a level, I think it's $44 on the West Texas, which is the... Which, as it happens, is some kind of technical support level was a target from that huge um, trading range that we had uh, since about 2010, uh, which suddenly broke. And once it broke, then, uh, you know, the roof fell in. Um, so what we're seeing now is uh, we've seen a, a bit of a technical rally. We're going to see probably a period of uh, bouncing around fairly random uh, erratic. and. When you mean, say pressure. a technical rally, what do you mean by that? What well, we call we saw- a dead cat bounce. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's another way. way Haven't way we for seen it? it? Yeah, uh, we may well have. Yes, um, that's the initial one. Now we're just going to uh, bounce around, um, probably form a bit of a trading range for the next uh, next few weeks, and then um, the market will make up its mind what to do next. Uh, my my bet, my guess is that it will. We've got another leg down to come mm. uh, in due course. And, uh, okay, well, we've done oil. What about uh, other markets? Are you spotting anything in the charts that look particularly interesting? Um, yeah, it's very... The, the world index uh, in US dollar terms this year is exactly flat. Um, but there have been all kinds of interesting things going on in, uh, under the surface. Um, <clears throat> we've seen a tail off in relative strength in the US dollar. Um, I think it's simply because money is starting to rotate into other markets. Um, and, John, what about the US dollar, which is probably one of the most overcrowded trades we've seen for a while yet? Yeah, many people are calling this a, a multi, the beginning of a multi-year bull run. Do you agree with that? Um, I, I, I do agree with that, actually. If you look back to, if you look at, a, say, a 15-year chart uh, or a 20-year chart, we're still um, way below the levels we had before the, um, you know, before the previous big bull market started in, in uh uh, in currencies, so um, so we're pretty happy where we are in Hong yeah. Kong with our peg. Uh, yes, I mean uh, obviously it's going to be uh, uh, it, you know it's going to be difficult to 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 make money out of the Hong Kong market uh, for that reason because the currency is going to 
is go- is going to be firm, but it means that earnings are go- earnings from from abroad are going to be limited. And that's why we see the U.S. market actually taking a bit of a pause as well and going to this trading range. I think uh, because of you know um, the, the the higher the, the higher dollar, uh, the potential crimping of earnings so from abroad. So where are you thinking the opportunity is going to come from then if the U.S. is slowing down a bit? Well, I'm very impressed with what's happening in Europe. Um, although, um, if we look at the DAX, has just just uh, you know broken out to new highs, and I, I, again, I think that's the start of a, a pretty uh, pretty big bull market. In, in uh, you know, Germany is the prime beneficiary of all this of, of QE. Although the Bundesbank resists it, the fact of the matter is that German uh, the German companies, which are already very competitive, are getting an even bigger boost from from uh, an more, artificially more worked a, currency from their point of view. Yeah. Yeah, um, if you like, a reverse subsidy. <laughs> um, Bob, you're still on the line. I know you don't look at Europe quite so closely, but obviously uh, growing Europe has got to be good for China and Japan in terms of their export industries. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, but in terms, you know, the... The, the stock market has been pretty poor until just recently. We like the fact that it's you know, technically beginning to to move up. And yeah, I'm not an expert. We're just we're just buying some ETFs there. And, and in terms of globally, we've seen in so far this year, 17 central banks cut interest rates. Now, a lot of them by surprise, and now yesterday the People's Bank of China has, has, has joined in. Is that a good sign for, uh, for, for the Chinese economy and the, and the China market, or are we just in a race to the bottom against the, the U.S. dollar? little bit of a race to the bottom. I mean, I always discouple or decouple the um, economy from the stock market because what's good for Main Street is bad for Wall Street always. The better the economy is, the sooner the central bank takes away the punch bowl and stock markets fall. As the, as the economy weakens, the, the response from the central bank is to stimulate and that drives up asset prices. It, it's a per, perverse relationship between the two that um, causes um, Main Street to distrust Wall Street always. Well, let's uh, finish off by looking at uh, Hong Kong and China. John, what are your charts saying about uh, Hong Kong first and then, of course, the big move in China last year? Uh, yes, well... Um, as we discussed last time, the, the move in China is actually quite small when you look at it again in the, in the sort of context of the five-year trading range. There are signs that, um, I mean, the China index I like to use is basically the MSCI China because that um, uh, you know, doesn't include A shares and, and, and has a good balance of all the main China plays that listed on Hong Kong. It's just beginning to edge out of um, this, uh, this trading range we've had since, uh, well, 2011, really. Um, and it's quite slow going. We're still, um, you know, it's still kind of case of uh, two steps forward, one and a half steps backwards. But we're gradually edging up there. I think at some point we are going to see an acceleration. However, once um, you know, generally the market gets confident of. Um, I think the key thing on on the monetary policy side is is the direction is 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 the most important thing. You know, it's better to travel than arrive. As always now, in, yeah. in, in the stock markets. But yeah. uh, we've also seen a, quite a big divergence between the A and the H shares. So when you're looking at uh, the MSCI China, you're not looking at the A share market, which no, has indeed had a big not. rally. No, no in, in, indeed not. Um, well, of course, the A share market's still very restricted for most of us, although we've got the... We now have the Shanghai Connect. Um, and there's a certain amount of artificiality because we're really, to- you know, we're still talking about this pool of trapped liquidity uh, in, in mainland China because we don't have uh, open capital markets 
So you get these drives in both directions. It works in both directions sometimes, you know. And has the uh, Hong Kong-Shanghai Stock Connect made, made a difference to that? Has it, has uh, it helped not, in any way? Uh, not yet. As you know, the uh, take-up has been actually quite slow. I, I, I think that's a good thing. I think, I think uh, you know, in, in, in due course, people will start to, to use it more. But um, it's dependent on... Partly depending on the market itself well, becoming more mature. And then finally, Bob, as a, as a investor who looks at China, I don't know if you look at the Asia market at all, but for somebody who's typically looked at the Hong Kong market as being a proxy for China, are you somebody who's likely to use the Stock Connect? We're, we're not, but we're, we've bought the ETF in uh, Hong Kong, which is the play on, on the Shanghai Index. We just... As the foreign alloc- we've seen this happen before when the foreign allocation begins to fill up, all the foreign firms that have offices in Hong Kong tell their clients they know China intimately and have not gotten in because they have been slow. The hedge funds were the first ones to pour in. Um, it is not really anything for them to buy except that one ETF. Yeah, so everyone's diving for that. Well, gentlemen, thank you very much. That's uh, Bob Howe, CEO of Geomatrix Investment, and John Schofield uh, with the charts, who's the CEO of Tempest Investment. A police uniform represents a vision and a commitment to uphold the rule of law and to maintain law and order, to safeguard and protect life and property, and to ensure that Hong Kong remains one of the world's safest and most stable societies. This is our home. Let's work together to fight crime and safeguard our city. To report crime, call the police hotline 2527-7177. Well, Morgan McKinley, who are the executive search firm, have just released their latest report on current hirings and firings around the region. A recent survey shows hiring activity grew 51% year-on-year, but the number of people finding new jobs is down by about 19%. Um, The picture is quite mixed, and today we've got Nick Lamb, who's the managing director of Morgan McKinley, who helped compose the survey with us today. How are you doing, Nick? Morning, Richard. Uh, Nick, the overwhelming conclusion seems to be, uh, for those of us in the banking industry and people looking for jobs, is that if you're a banker, there isn't much hope. But if you're in compliance or regulation or something like that, then um, you're in demand. Absolutely. Um, the, the market is very much driven by the regulatory environment now uh, rather than business. Uh, that's what we're hearing from, from all, the, all of our clients within the financial services sector, especially in the invest, investment banking side. Um, so uh, regulatory roles, compliance roles, risk roles, as well as transformation roles are, are, are very much in demand. Um, I think the uh, the overall sentiment, however, is is, is is relatively positive in terms of of the job volumes. Um, they have increased e- even in a in a Q4 when you would normally expect the seasonality to to reduce those those volumes. And a lot of this is happening, of course, because the regulators now really quite tough with the banks, uh, quite keen to spot if there are any inconsistencies. So the banks are having to put a great deal of investment into making sure that they don't actually infringe any of the regulations, let alone do anything wrong. Certainly. Uh, if, you, if you look at HSBC, uh, a few years ago they, they had around about 1,700 um, compliance professionals working within, within the bank-wide. Um, their ups are around about the 7,000 mark now. So that's, uh, that's uh, one-tenth of, uh, of, of the population of, 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 the, of the bank. Um, so there's significant pressure put, in, put on all of the organisations to ensure that they're complying with the regulations. And, and outside of banking and financing, what are the signs that you're seeing there? Is there growth in other parts of the economy, 
suggested by this survey, or is it all very focused on the two key sectors of finance and real estate that we've traditionally relied on here in Hong Kong? No, I would also say that um, uh, the wealth management industry is is, is continuing to, to grow. Um, you can you can tell from the from the Forbes billionaire list that there's uh, the, the wealth in China is 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 needing private bankers to support the, the their own um, demands from their, their uh, estate planning um, and, and financial wealth. So that is one key area, but also insurance is is an area that is is continued to grow. Uh, again, with the wealth of the demographic across the region, more and more uh, professional, uh, more and more individuals are are looking for um, you know insurance products, uh, and that's a real growth area. And that, and if if we look at what the Hong Kong government has been saying, they've, they've said the protests have sort of damaged business here and want to compensate businesses who have um, who have sort of lost money as a result. But this survey tends to suggest that maybe that isn't the case. Yeah, I think you know this survey is um, particularly looking at the financial services sector, um, and, and I think to a certain extent that the, the, the financial services sector has, hasn't really been affected as much by the, the pro, pro-democracy um, protests. Um, if you look at the retail sector, however, that that is a, a sector that's been um, significantly impacted. Uh, especially in Q4. Uh, Nick, most of these jobs seem to be really in sales and marketing. Um, Hong Kong doesn't seem to be a manufacturing centre anymore, uh, an area where, if you like, uh, has an element of intellectual property. It's all just basically a bunch of sales and smile and dial salesmen, aren't they? Yeah, yeah uh, Hong Kong is, a, is very much a, a service service economy, um, and therefore, yes, that, that does tr- uh, tend to be more in the, in, in the sales and marketing side of things than the manufacturing side. Well, thanks very much, Nick, for for coming in and uh, telling us about the report. And um, offline, Peter and I will be asking you the question, where's the best place for a gentleman with 30 years' experience presenting a radio show to uh, get a job? Thanks very much for coming in. That's uh, Nick Lamb of uh, Morgan McKinley. Uh, Just to uh, start our wrap, we've got the uh, early information about the futures today. Uh, most of the markets seem to be uh, slightly down. The Nikkei is down 0.6% at 70,572. Australian Seoul also down a little bit. Um, it looks as if they're following on from Wall Street last night. Um, Peter, any thoughts uh, for the end of the week? Job numbers Job out numbers. tonight? This is going to be an important number because um, we're seeing a sharp slowdown in the energy sector and the energy sector has been a big driver behind jobs growth over the last couple of years and has produced high-paying jobs as well. So this is going to at some point start to affect the, those numbers and it'll be interesting to see if this is uh, the, the month where that starts to have an impact. But these things also tend to be quite slow. Um, we they are talking time. about quite rapid cuts in the oil industry, but it takes time. It also takes time for these people to be paid off because they're paid redundancy, yep. etc. It, it takes time for that to, to come through and particularly when you see slowdowns in things like capital expenditure, it tends to happen in waves. The, you know, the first wave is not the end of it. You will then get a second round of um, expenditure cuts and job cuts that go with it. So this will be a sort of a, a slow grinding process, but maybe we're, we're sort of moving away now from the stellar jobs growth that we've been used to over the last year or so. Great. Well, thanks very much, uh, Peter. Don't forget that you can hear us on the podcast on the RTHK website, and we also have a Facebook page, which is Money for Nothing on RTHK Radio 3, where you can leave your questions. Just to close with the weather, it's going to be mainly cloudy and dry, cold in the morning, sunny intervals during the day with a maximum temperature of about 16 degrees. Fresh northerly winds, occasionally strong offshore at first. The temperature at the Hong Kong Observatory is 13 degrees centigrade and the relative humidity is 65%. And now the news, read by Samantha Butler.
The search has resumed for 12 people missing after a domestic flight crashed into a river in the Taiwanese capital, Taipei. Last night, a crane was used to lift the wreckage out of the river. 31 people are confirmed dead and 15 injured. Most of the passengers were from China. Relatives of the victims from there are expected to arrive in Taiwan today. Our Taipei correspondent, Cindy So has details. They resumed at 6.30 a.m. this morning. Uh, what they're looking for are basically bodies in the water of the river. They're trying to find any signs of the 12 people who are still missing and unaccounted for. And actually, more than half of the people brought out had already died. Uh, so the rescuers have told me that because the people who are still remain missing have been in the water for so many hours, that it's very unlikely that they would find any survivors. King Abdullah of Jordan has promised a relentless war against Islamic State following the killing of a Jordanian Air Force pilot. He said the war would be waged on the militants' ground and the blood of the pilot would not be shed in vain. Meanwhile, the nominee for U.S. Defense Secretary says it's important to get back all the Iraqi territory from Islamic State soon so they don't settle in. Radio Australia's Michael Vincent reports from Washington. Appearing on Capitol Hill for a confirmation hearing, Dr Ashton Carter says he wants Iraqi forces backed by US airstrikes to retake territory from Islamic State as soon as possible. American training of Iraq's military only began last month. Dr Carter says it's important that once the militants are defeated, they stay defeated. It's important to get that territory back soon because you don't want them to settle in and you don't want the population 